So this morning, uh, we're going to talk at a psalm. Uh, a psalm that was known by the Puritans as the Old 100th. The Old 100th. So you can start guessing what number do you think that? No, okay. It's 100. So if you'd like to turn your Bibles to 100, it wasn't a difficult question. A wonderful psalm, this. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You probably, as you look in, in, your, in your Bibles, uh, if, if you've got a Bible, as opposed, I don't know what it will say on your, on your phones, but if, in your Bibles, it probably heads up this psalm with a description, a psalm for giving thanks. A psalm for giving thanks. It is actually the only psalm that has this description. And it's a, a psalm that's just rich and ablaze with grateful adoration from the psalmist. Matthew Henry says of this psalm, that this song of praise, it's what a psalm is, it's a song, this song of praise should be considered as a prophecy and even a prayer for the coming of that time when all people shall know that the Lord, he is God, and shall become his worshippers and the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist opening exhortation is to make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. To whom? All the earth. From whom? All the earth. And that includes you and me. Unless you're not from planet earth, then it doesn't include you. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 4, enter his courts with praise. Give thanks, bless his name. These are all expressions of passionate thankfulness and joy that should exist when we gather together. We enter his courts. We enter as we've come this morning. We enter his courts with praise, with worship. That's how we're to come. That's how God wants us to come. And we come not just because we're told to, but that's what we want to do. So he exhorts us in this psalm how to come before God. But he doesn't just instruct us in some methodology or, or practice that we ought to be carrying out. Nor that we worship out of duty. But he exhorts us to worship in the context of knowing. He desires that we understand and recount the truth of who God is and what he has done for us and his relationship to us. It is truth that should inform us and and inspire, inspire our worship. It's not the culture. It's not the musical taste. The preferences of style. That should inform and inspire our worship. That's why in our gatherings we desire to start with songs that remind us of the wonderful truths of God. And of our salvation. Many of our songs, you, you might say, well they, they refer to sin. You know, that should not depress us. But when we see our sin in the light of the cross, 
the cross shines even brighter. If you've ever, for perhaps, perhaps this is true of the men, when you've, men, you've been out, if you have a wife and you've gone to a jeweler's store and you've, you're choosing a diamond for your loved one. What does the jeweler do? He doesn't, normally if he's a good jeweler, he doesn't just get the diamond out and stick it on a bit of paper. He puts it on a black cloth. Why does he put it on the black cloth? He puts it on the black cloth so that that diamond will shine even brighter. It will sparkle even more. It will be attractive even more. And that's true when we see the cross against the backdrop of our sin. The cross will shine even brighter. Grace will be more meaningful to us. So identifying sin as we sing some songs doesn't, shouldn't take us down and depress us, but should, if we understand God's grace to us, even with this sin, even though I still sin, even though this week I've sinned, even though this morning I have sinned, the cross shines even brighter. And that should inform our worship. And so the cross, said a couple of weeks ago, it's at the cross where we see where God's love for us is most revealed. If you doubt God's love for you, just go to the cross. Spend time at the cross. I mean a literal one. In your Bibles, read about the cross. Gaze afresh at the cross. Gaze upon the Saviour who went to the cross in our place. And so this morning I've just got two points. If you want a, a, um, a title for, this, for, the, for the message, is um, a psalm of thanksgiving, a call to praise, or uh, truth-inspired worship, whatever you want to call it. And I've got two, two points this morning. Praise that flows from truth, and truth that gives rise to expressive praise. So let's look at first point. Praise that flows from truth. You know, all theology, all teaching that we have in the church should lead to doxology. What I mean by that, it should lead to praise. It should lead to worship. All truth should take us there. God's truth should lead us to praising and worshipping him. And so objective truth must be the basis for our praise and worship, not subjective feelings and experiences. It's the truth. There's the the the, 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 the uh, psalmist says here, no God, it's truth and the truth about God. And we need to be constantly refreshed in the truth. And the psalmist here is reminding us of certain truths that as we dwell on them, they will inspire us in our praise and in our worship, in our thanksgiving. Praise that flows from truth. So let's look at what he wants us to know. Six things that God wants us to know. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. Now in your Bibles you will see, most of you know this, but just in case, you will see Lord in capital letters. That is the personal, whenever you see that, it's referring to the personal name of God. Yahweh, or Jehovah, the personal name of God, whenever you see that. So he is saying, know that Yahweh, this personal God to you. Yahweh is God. Is God. Some people might think of God as being in everything. Everything we see. People, animals, objects. And therefore, 
You could pray to anything you want to. I've noticed a new term that, that is coming across our televisions and, uh, and, and media is what the universe wants. Have you heard that term? It's the universe. The universe is leading us in a way. It's God. It's not the universe. It's, it, it's kind of a reflection that something's at work but without acknowledging God and without acknowledging that this God is a personal God and he can be known. People today encourage us, don't they, to, to know ourselves. You've got to know yourself. Sometimes it frightens me when I actually think of myself. But it's questionable whether any of us can really know ourselves until we know God. You'll only really know yourself in the light of knowing God. This God, he has a name. He's Yahweh, Jehovah. He is the one true God. There is no one else like him. No one can compare to him. He is absolute over all powers and authorities in the entire universe. We need to know him. A second thing that we the psalmist is encouraging us here is, verse 3 continues, it is he who made us. It is he who made us. We are his people. We did not make ourselves. Our parents didn't ultimately make us, although God did use them to create us. I'm aware of that. So there are no accidents with God. Sometimes people talk about being an accident. I was not planned for. There are no accidents with God. It's He who made us. You may have heard parents say that you were not planned. You weren't planned. But you know, sitting in this room, as a believer, we know God chose us before the very foundation of the earth. So whatever your parents were thinking of when you were conceived. God had you in mind before the very foundation of the earth. So there's no mistakes. Every one of us was planned by God. There are people who refer to themselves as a self-made man or woman, but as Christians, we recognise that we are what we are by the grace of God. There's no room for boasting. What do we have that we did not receive? Your gifts, your talents, your looks, for some, your, your personality, every, everything about us. We are what we are by the grace of God. There's no room for boasting. And third, he goes on to say, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist is not, say, is not only saying that God made us, but that we belong to him. We actually belong to him. We are his people. He then, by using the expression of sheep of his pasture, tells us of his glorious relationship with us. It's an image, isn't it? The shepherd with the sheep that conjures up care, leading, feeding and protection. This side of the cross, which, which the psalmist wouldn't have seen and understood, but this side of the cross, we can understand more fully the, this expression. We've seen the shepherd we have seen the shepherd lay down his life for the sheep. 1 Corinthians 19, verse 19 to 20 tells us that having made us, God through Christ bought us and reconciled us to God 
We are not his own, our own. We are his sheep. We are not our own. We are his sheep. One of the recurring scenes throughout scripture that I, I just love, and you see this in the Old Testament, and you see this in the New Testament. It's a wonderful expression where God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. This goes right through scripture, right from the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's a wonderful covenant-keeping statement of God. God is our shepherd, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. What else does he want to know, us to know? Well, verse 5, he says, For the Lord is good. This, this phrase sums up his character and contains within it a number of reasons for praise. His goodness is seen in his kindness, his graciousness, his love, his care, his compassion. Jesus tells the rich young man in Mark 10 that there is that no one is good except God alone. Jesus is judging goodness against the Holy God, who is at the very essence, the very essence of goodness. He will lead us. He'll care for us. He'll protect us. And he'll feed us as the good shepherd. And we can rely on Psalm 23, which tells us that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we can look to Romans 8, verse 28, that says God will work all things together for good of those who are called according to his purpose. God is working for good in all of our lives. Sometimes we just don't see that. Sometimes it seems almost the reverse. But God is always working for good in our lives. Spurgeon says this phrase, the Lord is good. This sums up the, his character and can, contains a mass of reasons for praise. We can be confident in a good God. And if you want to see what God looks like, Jesus Christ was the manifestation of God's goodness. Five, verse five reminds us, uh, continues to remind us that his goodness, his steadfast love endures forever. It's an eternal love. You know, when, when we read everlasting steadfast love, it, it, it's a very significant statement. The, the word actually, the Hebrew word for this is hesed. Hesed refers to a covenant-keeping love. You know, we, we can go in and out of relationships saying we love them. I mean, we should love everybody, but, you know, we, we, we love somebody and then we don't seem to love them or we fall out of love or whatever expression you might want to use. But hesed, in front of every time the word love is used, reminds us but God's love, God is bound to us in love. It's covenant. It's something he cannot break. If he broke, he'd no longer be God. He cannot break that. It's covenant. We, we might turn away from God's love. We might try and move away from it. But God will never, never stop loving you if you're his child. He will never stop. Imagine if I could... I uh, had two people, I should have perhaps demonstrated this. Two people out the front. I haven't got a piece of rope. And I, 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 I kind of got them to face each other. Just 
picture this scene. And I wrapped a rope round them, okay? And I tied the rope round them. And we'll say one is God and the other's us. And I turn within the wrapping round of that rope, I turn us around. So we're no longer facing God. That can happen. We can turn our back upon God. But what's still happening is that rope is still around God and us. No matter what we do, it means, it means God is covenanted to us in love. He will never let us go for those who are in Christ. And so it's a, the steadfast love, the everlasting love. Whenever you read that in the Old Testament, particularly you see that, just think of this covenant-keeping love. It's a love that cannot be broken, even when we might turn away from him. Mostly loves and relationships fail. Things happen in our relationships, sadly, that mean relationships fail. But this is one relationship we never fail. We can be confident in God's steadfast love. Romans 8, verse 39 says, Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then the psalmist says, if to underline his statement of God's steadfast love, the psalmist goes on to say, his faithfulness is to all generations. The faithful God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the faithfulness shown to Luther, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spurgeon, you carry on naming these people, to, to your Christian parents, if you have Christian parents, to your Christian grandparents. That love, that faithfulness that they have experienced will be shown to you. It's the same. There's no difference. What a, what a God we worship. Incredible. Incredible God. He's Yahweh. A personal, intimate God who made us. Who brought us back into fellowship with him. So that he can be our shepherd. And we can be confident in his goodness. His love and his faithfulness. To all those who are adopted into his family. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, Angie can come back. I'm not, no. I, I almost feel that. I'd like to just sing. I'm sure you'd probably prefer to sing than hear me. But, but I'd, I'd like to just sing and praise God at this time. Doesn't that make you want to make a joyful noise to worship him with our whole beings, to praise him in the way the psalmist writes? You know, Paul at the close of Romans 11 breaks out with praise and worship. He does so in, in, in the same way that the psalmist is here, recounting the truth about God. The psalmist and Paul expresses praise in exuberant terms. Which leads me to my second point. Truth that gives rise to expressive praise. This psalm brings a collection of psalms of praise to a close with this exuberant call to come before the Lord with expressive praise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. C.H. Spurgeon says of this verse, he says, the invitation to worship here given is not a melancholy one. 
as though adoration were a funeral solemnity, but a cheery, gladsome exhortation, as though we were bidden to a, a marriage feast. Come, come before his presence with singing. We ought to worship, we ought in worship to realise the presence of God and by an effort of the mind to approach him. Verse 1 says, make a joyful noise. I'm just so glad it says noise. Because if it was anything else, I'd be in trouble. Um, I can, some people might not even think it's joyful, but it's a noise, that's for sure. In other, another word, in another translation of the verse, it says, shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. You know what shout means? Shout. That's what it means, shout. These truths, these things that God wants us to know should inspire us to express our love and our affection and our passion for God in exuberant ways. Serve the Lord. Verse 2, serves the Lord with gladness. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Let that joy flow from objective truth. You know, when we have feelings, when we, we start to feel something, uh, and it, it, it affects the way we are. Speak truth. Speak truth. There was a phrase, I said to Angie last week about this, a phrase we used to sing in the song. The darkness is defeated by our praise. There could be a darkness in our eyes, but as we sing and praise, that darkness goes. You can't be praising God too long before it will go. But speak truth to feelings. That's what... Martin or Jones encourages us to do as well. The service the psalmist is speaking of is not just what we do on Sundays. Just the things that, you know, people come in, there's people out with children, crash, tens to twelves, people set up this morning playing, PA at the back, if I've missed you out, I'm sorry, but whatever. There are people every week serving here. And when he says serve with gladness, though, he's not just talking about serving on Sundays. But all the things that we do. I'm just looking around this morning, we don't have, we don't have so many of the young mothers. We know a lot of them are saving themselves for next week, they don't want to get COVID. But changing nappies. Service. Doing housework. Your paid employment. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whatever we do, do everything for the glory of God. To the glory of God. You know, it doesn't glorify God when we do things by complaining. To serve the Lord with gladness, well, the opposite of gladness can be complaining. Don't serve complaining, don't serve moaning, serve joyfully. And I want to say to you as a church, you do that. You do that. You example that. One of the things that uh, Nick said to me a few weeks ago, he said, let's get, let's get back to the to, to set up. Because when we come in in the morning and set up, we have a lot of fun. There's a lot of banter. You guys, whether you're serving on teas and coffees, craze, children, wherever it is, you serve with gladness. So thank you. Thank you that you, you example that. Verse 4 says, come before him with thanksgiving, with praise, giving thanks. Come before him with singing, joyful singing. 
Not a dirt, even joyful noise. It could be a joyful dirt, but a joyful noise. In this one verse, we see three exhortations to give thanks. And I believe that gratitude, thanksgiving, should be the hallmark of the Christian. And the way to stop complaining is to start thanking. If you find yourself complaining, then start thanking. Interesting, in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, Paul writes this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Not just because it's a good thing to do. He's gone to say, he said, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's not just that Paul is saying, this is a good thing to do, this is something I've learned. He's actually going to say, you want to know what the will of God is? People often say, well, what's the will of God in my life? This is what the will of God is. Pray without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances and rejoicing always. Why are we not thankful? Why do we not give praise? So often it's because we're more focused on ourselves and our circumstances than on God and our salvation. I am guilty of that. There are times I'm so into self, something's happened, my circumstances, that I lose that joy. I have a wife, I say it, she's not here this morning, who really gives me a problem because when I'm feeling that way, she'll say, what's going on in your heart, Peter? I don't want that question right now. Let, give me, let, me, let me get through this and then ask me that question. She will challenge me because she sees there's something going on in my heart that's not right and I need to be asked that question. I need for her. So it's a good thing, just in case you weren't sure. And she's faithful to me in that. Today I'll be more aware of our weaknesses, our sins, our trials than we're aware of God's grace and our eternal inheritance with him. See, knowing truth, truth-inspired worship, should ought to inspire gratitude, thankfulness, praise, worship. But it's knowing truth. We talked last week about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we need, when, we, when we're looking at things, reveal. When we, when we pray, when we're listening to something, when we're reading something, Lord, would you reveal this? Would you make this truth to me? Would you make it really get hold of me? And complaining reveals a lack of understanding that the truth is we're getting better than we deserve. <laughs> Pete asked me this morning, how are you doing? I said, okay, I'm doing better than I deserve. You know, we're always doing better than we deserve. That is the truth. You may not feel that, but that's the truth. And we see from this psalm that our praise should be expressive. It does not speak of, to us of passivity, but it shows expression, passion. It's like going to a sporting event or a concert or a show where we freely give a spontaneous response. A number of years ago, Rachel kindly bought me uh, some tickets to go and see Queen's Park Rangers play against Cardiff, in Cardiff. Uh, what she didn't realise is she bought tickets in the Cardiff block, and I don't support Cardiff. And QPR score, score night, yes! It wasn't the place to do it. I should have been the other side. But spontaneous, you know, it was even though I, was, I knew I was sitting in Cardiff supporters, I couldn't help myself. 
I don't score very often, by the way, I saw his. But the, I couldn't help myself. It was such a, such a, wow. And doesn't God deserve spontaneous re- response from us? Shouldn't we get excited about him and what he's done for us? Why should we just get excited at sporting events or, 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 or concerts or things that appeal to our sensitivities rather than God who appeals to the truth of our very lives and being? These glorious truths that I've been adopted into his family, my sins forgiven, I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ and I have an eternal destiny with God, I believe ought to inspire worship, gratitude and praise. John Piper says this. I wish it was on, I haven't got it online, but if education does not lead to exaltation in God, it fails. If education does not lead to exaltation in God, it fails. If seeing glory doesn't lead to savouring God, it fails. In thinking truth doesn't lead to feeling love, it fails. Education, knowledge, sight, thought, they are all, they are for exaltation in God. And if they don't produce it, they are not what they were created to be. Found that very challenging. Very challenging, but true. He goes on to say, and the reverse is true too. Exhortation does not flow from education. This is where we have to be careful. Affections that do not flow from knowing. Savouring that does not flow from seeing. Feeling that does not flow from thinking. Are hollow and rootless. Noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. And God is not glorified by artificial and empty passions. True delight is rooted in true doctrine. God-entered exaltation is rooted in God-centred education. Biblical emotions and expressions must come from biblical thought. It's not just a case of whipping something up. Get the band. Get, get our unseen drummer to play every, every, all the time. And, you know, get, get a, can we have unseen other instruments that can join us? Uh, but it's not about that. It can help us, help us in our, in, our, in our emotions. Being educated in the scriptures will, if understood and appropriated, give rise to expression. See, when we come on Sunday, I trust this is your, the case with you, but we don't primarily to come to be informed. That's not the purpose of Sunday morning. Purpose is, is to worship God and have our lives transformed in our affections, in our worship to God. So let's honour God in our worship. Let's bring him glory in our praise. And let's do it with biblical expression. And when I say that, I'm not saying do it in a particular way. This is the methodology. Hands up here, you know. A friend of mine was trying to help a church once in, in being more expressive, and he's, he started off by Simon Says. Do you know Simon Says? You know the thing? Simon Says do this. Simon says. So he started the chart. Then he said, well, God says. But I'm not necessarily suggesting that. We, we mustn't get caught up in kind of methodology and our preferences. And, uh, and also we mustn't be concerned about what others think. What does it matter what others think? 
Our worship this morning, your worship this morning, my worship this morning, primarily should be for an audience of one. An audience of one. Only one person counts. That's not any of us, by the way. It's not Angie she's leading, not the audience of Angie. Or Ezra. It's not about what others think. Nor should others comment and judge on the way we express ourselves to God. We're different personalities. We're different personalities. We will do it in different ways. And we must understand that. But we find our own way. We find a way where we can respond, as the psalmist says here, in expressive, exuberant worship to a God who deserves it. God is not seeking methods. He's seeking worshippers. Those who are ready to show affection and gratitude to him that flows from understanding, flows from truth. Inform minds that stir and affect our emotions. Not emotionalism that might come from the music and the songs, but a heartfelt adoration of God that glorifies him. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. What praise is? Praise is thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let our praise as Grace Church flow from truth and let it be worthy in its expression of the one who does all things well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm the old 100th, where the psalmist not only exhorts us to be expressive and rejoicing and praising of you, but also gives us and reminds us of the glorious truths that lie behind our worship. Lord, would our worship our praise, our adoration be fueled by truth. Truths that we've been looking at this morning, many other truths that we can refer to. So the Lord in all of our praise and worship might be done for the audience of one, might please the audience of one. Lord, we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.